Hey everybody, this is Gene Troyer. I'm the lead pastor of Restore Church. And what a pleasure it is to welcome you to our podcast. It's my hope that you will be marked by love and encouraged in your faith and inspired to become all God has created you to be. Now I invite you to lean in and enjoy the podcast. Well, good morning again. I'm Gene. I'm part of the team here at Restore. And uh, this is my friend Tyler. Tyler has, uh, can you give it up for him? What a great three weeks it was. Yeah. Uh, Tyler and I uh, got connected a number of years ago and became fast friends. And uh, sometimes I think we could not be more different. Uh, like we're as different as night and day in some respects. Yes. And then in other ways, uh, we have the most engaging, awesome conversations. And so this morning, uh, we're going to take uh, this time together and kind of unpack some of the things that, Tyler, you kind of did a flyover on some things. You mentioned them, but you didn't uh, dive down deep. Uh, But what I loved about uh, the way that Tyler brought us the book of Titus, chapter one, two, and three, he talked to us in chapter one about correction and what it means to be in leadership. And I love the fact that what he spoke to us about is applicable not just in the church world, but it must be in the church world, but it's also applicable in any uh, level of leadership that you're in, whether you're leading your family, whether you're leading in the workplace, wherever it is, the principles remain the same. Uh, The second week he talked to us about grace, and he started every week with grace and peace to you, and um, that was... uh, Sort of like, uh, you know, when, when I think about the way that we confront issues, which was what Paul was doing to the Cretes, he was saying, grace and peace, and now straighten your act up. <laughs> and he was, he was sort of giving some good, like, here's, here, I love you, but man, you're a mess. And sometimes it's easier to hear you're a mess when we've also been told, you're good, you're not all bad. Parts of you are rotten to the core, but you're still like, you're still my child. Like I talk to my kids like that sometimes, right? I don't like what you're doing. All right, so week three, you talked to us about hope and um, you said that was your favorite chapter. I have to say that it was really a beautiful time too. So how do you wanna go at this this morning? Well, uh, first of all, I always feel like when we're together, we have to do it over food or refreshment or something. So I have some drinks to bring up here for us. Oh, nice. Yeah. All right. Funny story. I got your, I think it's your favorite drink for sparkling water, uh, Sam Pellegrino. This is not a paid advertisement. Um, but when I was checking this out, uh, the teenage checker um, checkout At line, the grocery store? at the grocery store, yeah. uh, she tried to card me. So you were at the liquor store? No, oh, I, was okay. at, I was at Martin's, and this girl tried to card me for sparkling water, which I thought was really interesting given what we're gonna cover today, so. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so we, we tried to pick some areas that we just did a flyover uh, when we were together, and um, just excited about where this is gonna go. Um, so the first one we're going to talk about is, in the first chapter, there's several references to the relationship between men and women. And it says in here, uh, 
If you want to go ahead and put that on the screen here, right? Do you, do you, have, you have that pulled right up here? Yeah, Titus. Yeah, Titus, Titus one. chapter 1. Yeah. Verse 6. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the chain charge of being wild and disobedient. Well, there go the Hartford kids. <laughs> wild. <laughs> it's only because there's seven of them, right? And he's speechless. Never a dull, <laughs> never Well, a dull you know, moment. we didn't, we actually haven't, that's one thing we didn't say. We didn't actually prepare together. He doesn't oh, yeah, know where I'm right, going. Yeah. I don't know where he's going. I don't going. know where he's going. So he know where there I'm might going, be an abundance so of fun here. Could be dangerous. So um, let me just preface this by saying that there may be some of you in the room this morning that read this verse and you say, an elder must be blameless, faithful. It's a man, a man. And that doesn't trip you up at all. Okay. There may be some of you in the room that when we have this conversation that we're about to step into about women in leadership, you might say, never gave it a thought. Why would we even be discussing this? Like, what is that about? But if you grew up in a certain culture, if you grew up in a certain religious framework, you know exactly what we're talking about. And especially if you've been coming here and this is your first time that you've been in church and this restores all you know, you for sure don't think about this because you've seen Brenda preach, you've seen Krista preach, you've seen a number of different women preach here on Sunday mornings. And so we have very freely given women a place of leadership. And, um, and so uh, as we talk about this this morning, we're going to interject some things that are, have been helpful for us as we process this. And then there's another section as well that speaks of uh, women in chapter 2. And it says uh, in chapter 2 around verse 3, to teach the older women to be reverent in every way. Um, but then it goes on to say to urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. One of the things that I hold to in my theological framework is I believe in what's called kind of a, a third way. I believe that there's a dynamic tension that happens in Scripture. And what that means is that we, we can actually see this is not a middle ground or sitting on a fence kind of position. This is a distinctly different path that the world does not take. And when I say that, um, here's a perfect example. Already this is complex because we're having to have a conversation about women in leadership in the church, and then it gets tied to how men and women relate in the home. And those conversations can be very similar, but they can also be very different. And I also just want to note that while we may talk about some things that are uncomfortable, that I have deep respect for people in, in which their homes have been able to work, where the man is called the head of the house, and also where there's a very mutual uh, arrangement between the husband and wife. So um, there's lots of places we can go here, but like you noted, there's, um, there's kind of some biblical framework from Paul, but there's also a long arc of scripture that we need to bring into play. I think one of the things I want to bring out at the beginning is that usually when this conversation happens, people go back to Genesis 3. They always go back to the beginning. And they say, 
Well, what about the fact that at the end, at the beginning of time, we have this curse, right? That says that women are going to have pain in childbirth and their desire will be for their husbands and he will rule over them. They will rule over their wives. Well, something I want to remind us is, and this is the big thing about the name of this church, Restore, is that Jesus has come to restore. In the Jewish belief, the Jewish belief it's uh, this restoration of paradise. And we don't want to forget that Genesis 3 is the description of the curse. I think some of us need to sit with that for a second. That the description of the curse, the brokenness of sin. Because if we remember from the beginning, Adam says, after his supernatural surgery where the Lord takes a rib and shapes a helpmate for him, he says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And as it says in the New Testament, who hates their body? that what does it mean for us to restore the relationship between man and woman in such a way that there are differences between the two, but they are mutual? Yeah, I would add to that, that in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, uh, again, this is now, this is not about the curse. This is about new life in Christ. And uh, Paul writes this to the Corinthian church. He says, but among the Lord's people, so among us, women are not independent of men, and men are not independent of women. For although the first woman came from man, every other man was born from a woman, and everything comes from God. That helps me align my thinking around the sexes and how we, how we think about um, how we live together. Now, uh, the head over, you know, uh, Ephesians 5.25 also says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Mutual submission. Those of you that have done premarital counseling with Brenda and I know that we are, um, we are high on mutual submission. Like that is an imperative for a successful marriage. This is not a thing where the husband lords it over the wife. This is not, that's not submission. That's, that's uh, uh, taking headship to the extreme, to the place where it becomes, easily becomes abusive. So what we always subscribe to, what we always urge our couples to, is mutual submission, one for the other. We are for each other. And sometimes at our house, I'll tell you that, I look to Brenda to make a decision about something. And other times she looks at me to make that decision. And other times, most of the time, it's a mutual decision-making process. If you want peace in your home, you will think rightly about your wife. And women, you will think rightly about your husband. Now, this also requires more of what we're going to be talking about in just a second. Because that doesn't just happen. And really all you're doing is you're going to Ephesians 5, uh, right, 25. But if you go up to 21, what does it say? Submit to one another yes. out of reverence for Christ. So I do want to acknowledge that here are two men up here talking about women. <laughs> That's true. It's a little awkward. 
Brenda, do you need it? <laughs> Janessa? It's oh. only awkward if we're up here demeaning women. Right. It, and what yeah. we're doing is elevating women to their rightful place. That's what we're after. And, um, and I think the culture um, has, you know, you have uh, the extreme feminist, and then you have the, all the way to the other side. And we're just saying there is a third way, if you will. And uh, we believe that third way is the right way. This was not part of the script, which is what happens when Gene and I talk. Um, just an article yesterday from Christianity Today said for the first time in the history of measuring the Western church, uh, millennial, I mean, uh, Zen, Gen Z women are leaving the church at a higher rate than men. We've always had this cultural understanding that women are sometimes more spiritual or more in touch with their inner being. Um, for the first time, more women are leaving the Christian faith and identifying as nuns, not N-U-N. But I do believe that that's from a culture that has been cultivated within certain particularly Christian streams where women are not valued and not given a space in leadership, whether within the elder team or the teaching team, in which we actually see churches shielding um, perpetrators of abuse and blessing, uh, or controlling an abusive situation as the man being the head. I mean, if we're really honest with ourselves, the numbers are telling us that the church hasn't handled this very well. And, and, and I would argue that some women are not feeling safe within faith communities. Yeah, no question, no question. We have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of work to do uh, in that respect. And the numbers are staggering. Um, the number of uh, women that have been abused at some time in their life and um, to not address that as even big C church, like the church as a whole, is a travesty. And I'm glad that we're, I mean, if you, if you listen, if you're aware of what has been happening in the church world, uh, then you will not be surprised at the number of people that you may talk to that will say, no, I don't need that. I don't need that. And that's why, again, some of these next topics are going to be exceedingly important um, as we live this out. And by the way, let me just say also that some of the stuff we're talking about, um, churches aren't willing to talk about this stuff very much because uh, it's too hard. And it's, it can be too divisive because there are many opinions uh, that um, people hold. And those are derived from their experiences, from what they've studied, what they believe. And so this, the topics we're covering this morning uh, can be divisive if we allow them to be. And yet what we're trying to do is open the door so that we can freely talk about the hard things. And uh, we may not all agree. That's fine. The beauty of the church is when we live in unity among, uh, with diversity. We have diversity of thought. We have diversity of belief. We are very closed-handed around here about a few things, and those things all center around Jesus. Otherwise, we can be pretty open-handed, and we can live together in unity even when we don't agree specific, uh, specifically to every dot and tittle, as they say. 
I'd like to bring up another historical point. So like 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 14, it says that um, women should remain silent in church. That's right. No. Um, <laughs> I grew up in a faith tradition. Uh, was not, I shared earlier, I was not a believer when we first were a young family, but then as a child came into a faith tradition that was very heavy on male dominance. And I got a Bible given to me by my pastor recognizing that I had a call to ministry. And the craziest thing about it was, I mean, it's just still weird for me, is there's only one passage that's highlighted in the whole little New Testament he gave me, and it was that verse. He highlighted it for you? I did in the first message that I heard after getting the Bible. And then I became convicted that I didn't want to mark up the Word of God. And I keep that Bible on my shelf because I've since come to an understanding that I believe that we're also dealing with this weight of cultural expectations. And so what I mean by that is, from a biblical perspective, I would argue that the places where Paul says these things, like in Corinth, there was the Temple of Diana, where the worship was female-dominated. And so when you read and you kind of look at commentaries, you see that there can be an argument made that women were disrupting the worship service and the teaching time, sometimes vociferously, because they would have been the main priestesses of this religion or adherents of the religion. Because if you really go back and look at Paul, he's got, there's at least 12 specifically named women that either lead churches in their homes, they're called apostles, or they're called co-laborers with me for the gospel, which for me, says Paul, highly valued women teaching and leading within the church, okay? So, but you just have to just be aware that for the first time in history, the modern age has created an environment we've never seen before. Up until the, the, uh, the, the modern revolution, um, there had to be a, devised, a divided labor. Like someone had to keep the home while the husband was out working the field and doing the more physical labor. There was these natural divisions. But with the arrival of things like birth control and with the modern workplace, we see a secular leveling of the sexes that is different than the leveling that you see in Scripture in Christ. And so I would argue that's why we do run into these situations where people are struggling with like gender identities and things like that. Because it's, it's, it's dealing with this, now that you have like birth control and all these other things that allow um, for people to kind of function in a more modern society where gender is removed from the discussion, then without Christ and the uniqueness of how God created each of us, we, um, we're running into more confusion, if that makes sense. And we don't have to chase that very far, but I'm just saying we're living in an era that has never existed before, the kinds of options that are in front of us right. just in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Okay, we can, uh, we're going to close that one, Yeah. all right? We're going to close <laughs> that one, and uh, let me uh, read to you Titus 2 again, and uh, 3 and 4, 
And then I'm also going to read Titus 1, 7. So Titus 2, 3 to 4. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanders or addicted to much wine. I'll stop there. Not to be addicted to much wine. And then um, also in Titus 1, 7. Since an overseer manages God's whole household, he must be blameless. Again, he's talking about like leadership. Uh, They must not be overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Okay, so let's talk about the consumption of alcohol. There was a time in my life when I abused alcohol and drugs and the like. There was a time in my life where I never had a drink, never had anything to drink. And I am now in a stage of life where I enjoy sparkling water. I'm avoiding admitting that I enjoy alcohol. But I want, again, this to be an open conversation, and I think it's important that you hear us all the way through. So I've just said that I, uh, I enjoy drinks, alcoholic drinks. Now, uh, I don't enjoy the abuse of alcohol. I also don't enjoy the abuse of food when I overeat. See, the life of following Jesus is a life of moderation. It is a life of holiness. And it's important that we clarify, what is holiness? How then does Christ call us to live? How much should we be aware of the people around us And how much should we consider them and the liberties that we take? See, these are all questions that the average person that is outside of the faith community may never consider. Well, whatever I do doesn't matter. It just pertains to me. Well, that's not exactly true. We are called to another level of of right living to another level of of considering those around us and those that may struggle with things that we don't struggle with. So, um, when we are told women should not have too much wine, addicted to much wine, or in this case, it points to men not being drunken fools, this is... This is a framework for which we can step into and live. Now, there, Tyler grew up in a, uh, tell us about your family, like your background well, and when noting, it relates, I mean, as it relates to alcohol. Yeah, well, sure, noting that some of my family may be watching this. I mean, uh, most of my family would uh, be from a background where alcohol was used in order for us to be together in the same room. So that family members could, like, lubricate the gathering, okay? 
We joked that, you know, people have those wine trees where they put bottles on it. We joked that it would be cardboard boxes because it's the bagged wine. Cheap wine. So, but I grew up in a Baptist environment where any consumption of alcohol is 100% forbidden, wrong, right? And uh, I'm but not may sure I what ask, you though, wanted to, what did you, what are you trying to draw around? Well, I'm, I, what he's trying to, what he's saying, though, is that it was forbidden, right? Oh, yeah. The drinking of alcohol. But we all know Baptists, like, they do it in the closet. What, what's the joke? Like, uh, like if, if, <laughs> if you want to keep your beer when you're fishing, take two, um, take two Christians with you? Is that, I forget how that works. Yeah, because... Like, yeah. if you want to save your beer when you're fishing and you have one guy with you, no, take two, because then they will never drink in front of the other. Yeah, that's right. I that's butchered it. the joke, but... <laughs> I think they got it. But, but uh, you know, I grew up as a child with my parents telling me alcohol is wrong, and Dad, forgive me, wherever you're at, Dad. Uh, I came home one day as a teenager and had always wondered why there was a cabinet with no knob on it. <laughs> Opened it up, and wow, almost a full stock bar in there. But I discovered that part of the conversation was my mother's doctor said, you know, there's a scripture that says, for your stomach's sake, take a little wine. She was losing her hair from stress. And the doctor said, if you didn't want to go on medication, have a glass of wine every once in a while. Just, it's Okay. But they didn't know how to unpack that in the context we were in. Because sure. what, what I see happening in our culture is, American particularly, we really don't know how to moderate. Like, everything that advertises on TV for alcohol means crack a can of beer open and suddenly the party happens, right? Like, and it's all tied to almost excess. But I, I want to point out this, this tension, okay? I have a, a, just to lighten the mood a little bit, okay? So, like, you guys you know, just got done talking about women, and how many women have heard of, like, Proverbs 31 women? Right? Like, a ministry of, like, Proverbs. You want a Proverbs 31 woman that sits at the gate of the city and is an amazing entrepreneur, right, all the way down the line. Have you ever read the first, like, 10 verses of Proverbs 31? Because... I want to start a Proverbs 31 men's ministry. It says, uh, let beer be for those who are perishing, uh, wine for those who are in anguish, let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. <laughs> that, that's an awkward Proverbs 31 ministry, right? Cheers. Cheers. In some settings, I probably would have lost my job by now. But, but it says before that, it's not for kings to drink wine or rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. Right beside each other, it says, rulers, watch it. Struggling people. take of a drink. <laughs> Do you see the tension? I feel it. 
Rick Warren had an interview with somebody just recently where he was saying that the, one of the number one thing he sees among ministers and leaders failing is that they have almost always, to a T, have found some way to abuse alcohol in the church. Okay? So particularly for those of you who are sitting here and have been addicted and received deliverance, or right now you're in a place where you come home and you turn to the beer or the hard liquor or the wine to forget your troubles and to experience peace, please, please stop and turn to Jesus. Salvation is not in the bottle. And there's deep respect for those who have chosen the path of not partaking because of that history. Absolutely. Like, this is not an endorsement for drinking. This is being honest about the reality of who we are, who I am, who Tyler is. And it has no, like, it is not like saying, go for it. Go drink and abuse. None of that. Like, we're not saying any of that, but sometimes there is a a need for honest conversation so that we don't have things that are hidden. And you will never hear either one of us ever endorse drunkenness. Clearly, drunkenness is a problem. It is a sin. And that is not what we as followers of Jesus are called to. We're called to live a life that is holy and right. And I would just, uh, do you want to say anything else? I have, a, I have one quick thing and sure. then a historical thing I'd like to share. So okay. where did it fit with you? No, that's, go for it. And okay. I'll close. Um, the, the quick thing would be, um, no, I think I'll just stick to the historical. If I remember the other, it'll come back. Oh, the When you are really hard on a topic, like when you are just beating the issue of like women must be submissive to men, or when you are like absolutely no drop, no drop, just be aware that that can create an environment where there's massive abuse, okay? Where like we just don't know how to do things in moderation. I just want to note that. Um, The other piece is the historical. I mean, the first case of drunkenness in the Bible is Noah. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'll be honest with you. If I saw the whole world wiped out, I probably would be tempted to plant a vineyard and get smashingly drunk. (laughs) Did I just say that? I mean, that's what it says, right? He plants a vineyard and he gets so drunk he's naked and passed out in his house. Who gets in trouble? It's his kid who comes in and makes fun of his dad for being naked. He probably had a terrible hangover the next day and regretted it. But the thing is, the Jewish people see Noah as the father of the vineyard. They see him as that. If you go on and you look at Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, All of them involve sacrifices of meat and drink. And those drinks are wine, and it says fermented drink. 
The morning offering noted in Numbers says that for every lamb, the Lord is to receive one and a half cans of beer, one, and a half, one quarter of a hen of fermented drink with the lamb. Because the Jewish people came out of Egypt, and Egypt was a beer-drinking culture. In Ecclesiastes, when it says something like, uh, cast your bread upon the waters, and as many days it will come back to you, the NIV translate that as, put your bread on the ships and sail away with the grain. Well, actually, most commentators that would really dig into the text would say, you put your barley cake on the water and you let it sit for a few days, and it will create a liquid bread. It's the recipe, recipe for beer drinking, beer making. I mean, I'm just telling you, we're in this situation in part because of our cultural expectation of the prohibition in American culture of not being able to moderate, so we just cut it all off. And a Methodist minister in the 1860s, Welch, came up with a way of pasteurizing grape juice, and he marketed it to churches as non-alcoholic wine so that they could have communion with grape juice. Because up to that point, you couldn't have a shelf life with grape juice. So sometimes it's just helpful for us to stop for a second and go, how much of this is culturally bound when it comes to talking about men and women? How much of this with alcohol is tied with our own schizophrenic view in American culture of all in or all out and not finding a way to be responsible. I know that's a long path and it's not all in biblicals, but no, does that good. fit with what you're trying to yes, say? Yes, yes. Okay. And so let me just call us to this. Uh, if I turn to uh, 1 Peter 1, here's, here's this whole conversation and, and we're, we have more to talk about but um, we may have to do that in a different setting because we're out of time. But in all of this, let me call us to this. As Peter does in uh, 1 Peter 13, he says, So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now, but now, you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. What we're calling us to is for us to live out the ethics of Jesus for all the world to see. And the ethics of Jesus are that we love each other. Bottom line, that we have a deep love for each other, which means that we take into consideration how each one of us is shaped and formed and how we can live with each other in a way that is filled with unity among diversity. So, all of this is calling us to a higher level. This conversation calls us to think more deeply about the things that sometimes we just make a blanket statement about, and this is, this is just the way it is. All right, but let's think more deeply about this. Let's consider what God is truly calling us to.
Tommy. Do you, do you want, are we going to cover our next point? No, we're not. Oh, man. All right. Not in this setting. Not in this setting. Stay okay. tuned. We may do something in addition. Okay. I, I just want to note one point I forgot because I didn't bring up the New Testament. Don't forget that Jesus' first miracle was Cana. And I sometimes jokingly say to my friends, his concern, his first miracle was to keep the party going. He changed the water into wine. I mean, that's the Savior we follow. He's concerned about our gladness and our joy and our thriving. And so let's not lose sight of that. And if you look at the numbers, like he took six containers that held between 20 and 30 gallons each. So this was a big party, apparently, hopefully, hopefully a big party. But 120 to 180 gallons of the best wine you've ever had. That's pretty amazing. Now, let me close. Yesterday, I spent uh, the morning... Uh, you can stand with me as I talk about this. Uh, yesterday, I spent the morning uh, with my granddaughter, Eloise, and those of you that have been here at all or have heard me talk online, you know that we, uh, I love my granddaughters and grandson uh, deeply, and I love hanging out with them. Yesterday, I spent the morning with Eloise at the fair. She's three, and... Um, at the fair, there's a kid's ride, and it's the marketplace tractor ride. And so they have these, these battery-operated tractors with wagons behind them with a basket in them, and you go to market. And so she follows, supposedly follows this path, and she's driving, and I'm trying to help her stay on the path. She's driving this little tractor, and then she gets to the, to the vegetable stand, and she stops, and she has to pick the vegetable up and put it in the basket. And we were about three items in, and she picks up that tomato, and she's like, this ain't real. This isn't real. And she kept saying that. Every time she, we got a, a, a bag of flour in the one marketplace location, and she picks it up, and she's like squeezing it. And it's like, and it's filled with foam. Like, like, this isn't real. She kept saying that. This isn't real. And as I thought about our conversation this morning, I felt like God was saying to us that our fruit, the fruit of our lives, the way people see us, sometimes they look at us and they say, that ain't real. That's rotten. It's all soft and spongy. There's nothing real about that. And this conversation this morning, if you hear nothing else, hear this. Following Jesus is the real deal. Living the way of Jesus is the real deal. There's nothing more real. There's nothing better than following the way of Jesus. But it calls us to bear fruit that is real. It can't be rotten. It can't be soft and spongy. Like we need... Real fruit that says following Jesus is the better way. But you can sit at Goshen Brewing Company any day of the week. 
and you can look around and you can see people that are from all perspectives of life. I mean, who knew Goshen was so diversified? But we are. We have a very diverse city. Diverse in thought, diverse in theology, diverse in just about any way you can imagine. So we get to have a choice. We can sit there and we can judge and malign and think about how awful people are. Or we can sit and engage and help people know that the life I live is because Christ is in me. And the life I live is because he has done a work in me and in you that cannot be replicated any other way. The Jesus way is the better way. And I urge you with all my heart to stand up straight and know that the authority of Christ is in you. To stand up straight and know that you are walking the better way. If you're not this morning, the prayer team's going to be up front and um, they would love to pray with you, to give you hope for tomorrow. If you're burdened, let's get that thing off of you. Let's pray together and step into this next week and be the people that God has called us to be. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Please rate and review us on Spotify and iTunes and join us again for next week's podcast. We love you and pray blessing and peace over you and your family. <laughs>